Hey y'all, I'm Jen Horan-Jeff, founder of Savvy Cooperative, and I'm thrilled to be here on the Offscript Media Network to talk to you about a dirty little word, non-compliant. Because patients are labeled non-compliant all the time, but more often than not, it's because the system hasn't been designed in a way that works for them. I truly believe that patients have the power to influence the future of healthcare. So join me as we take on healthcare and challenge the status quo, because sometimes non-compliance is what moves the needle. So tell me a story, Jen. Story from way back or modern day? Let's go antediluvian. Meaning? That's a big SAT word that means before the war. Before the war? Is that COVID-19? Maybe the Facebook war? What's the Facebook war? I don't know. Like uh, Cambridge Analytica. (laughs) Tell me a story that as evolved as we'd like to think we are in 2020 is incomprehensible that this still happened. I don't even know what you're setting me up for. Well, all right. May I tell you a story? Sure. Biotech company goes to market on a drug for little people, the community for little people. They went to market without consulting a single person from that community, and no one wanted it. Because I believe, if I'm referring to this as possibly less anecdotally as I think, it was meant to reduce the genetic risk of the mothers having children with that condition. And the mothers didn't think there was anything wrong with happening to have a baby with this condition. Is condition the right word? I want to always be as appropriate and polite as possible. It's not a syndrome. It's not a rare disease. But do you mind if your kid is little? No, I don't. It's whatever. It's up to the will of the universe for this to be. I don't want to have a designer baby because I will love this child no matter what that is. So this notion of, and this was two years ago, going to market for a product for a community in the rare disease, rare condition space that doesn't want it. Jerry Seinfeld used to say like, who were the ad wizards that came up with this idea, right? Why is this still a thing? I think we see that in the like cochlear implant community as well. Of Are we needing to design things out or should we actually understand what people want before we make these decisions on behalf of all people? So I think that that's a really good place to start when we think about how are we understanding these communities and who is prescribing what is right and wrong? Right. But everything you're saying just makes sense. So, so stop making sense. <laughs> And put yourself in the mindset of this company or a company or company X of note, wherein lies the rub that this doesn't occur to them? I expect a real answer that solves all the problems at once. They just don't understand the community and what they want. And I think that we see this across all conditions. And for me, as a child living with juvenile idiopathic arthritis... Gesundheit. (laughs) It's a a mouthful of awesomeness. And I think that that's one of those things that, you know, even when people talk about how their condition doesn't define them, and I'm more than happy for people to say that and to own that. But for me personally, my condition does define me, but in a good way. It's afforded me opportunities. But it's also made it so that my life was very different from my peers. And I was told as a child, don't do anything. You shouldn't move. You shouldn't play sports. You shouldn't run around with your friends. No one's put Jen in the corner. Yeah. I mean, this was a whole baby in the corner scenario. And it was well-meaning physicians. They just 
didn't have the same information that, of course, we have today. In, in modern day, this was early 80s. But back then, it was really trying to just preserve, but not understanding what I wanted as a child or my parents wanted for me. And so, you know, thus started my journey of non-compliance and trying to figure out how to create a life and a world that was going to open doors for me as opposed to close them. So the moral is never tell anyone they can't do something. Or never tell Jen she can't do something. Because then I'll do it. This is something my, my team jokes about with me, that if they, they really want me to do something, they'll just jokingly tell me, oh, Jen, we don't think that you could possibly get this report done in time. So are you ahead of or behind the curve on reverse psychology? <gasps> oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is to that. But yeah, I mean, I just think that for somebody who's always been labeled and I think that that's what a lot of people with chronic illness or, you know, various different types of conditions or whatnot, as you describe, they're constantly being looked at even as just their disease or just their condition. You're labeled, you're stigmatized. And we forget that the person has so much else going on outside of just being that diagnosis. Who's the labeler in this case? Gosh, there's a lot of labelers. I think part of it is the medical system that, you know, what we live in over here in the United States is more of a, a medical model towards looking at people and health. And so they're taught about diseases and not so much around sort of, I'm going to nerd out here, this is academic gen, sort of that biopsychosocial approach to again. health. Exactly. There are different ways that we need to be thinking about what does it mean to be healthy and happy? And that includes understanding things outside of just a clinical diagnosis. Let's talk about that invisible illness stuff, the but you look good. As a kid growing up, did you look good at least? <laughs> did anyone know you were going through this crap? Well, look, I never did glamour shots, but I like to think that I looked good. And that's, yeah, it was super challenging because outside of when, you know, my ankle or knee were flaring, I looked pretty healthy. No, no limp all the time, but sometimes. And it was really challenging for me to also be able to convey to my, my friends and to my teachers and whatnot what was going on, because especially with something like arthritis, that traditionally in the mindset of most people is something that affects older adults. And so somebody who was diagnosed essentially in infancy, people couldn't conceive of that and thought I was making it up. And it does not make you feel great about, uh, you know, sharing it with people if you're always going to be told that you're just a liar and trying to get out of things. And it really ended up making me feel like, all right, well, then I'll skew the, the far to the other side. I'll right. swing that pendulum over and I'm going to do everything. And I'm going to show you that I am more capable than anybody could have imagined. And I think that that's just been ingrained for me in, in the start. And uh, it's really something that I think a lot of chronic illness patients see and feel and experience. Is it fair to say that it's unfortunate you have to go through this shit to grow up and feel better about yourself and take confidence in that as opposed to people who don't? Go through shit happens. Oh, gosh. I mean... And kind of think they're sailing through life. Look, I, I'm not going to editorialize on the experiences of people that I don't know their circumstance, but I think in some That's ways... That's being very compliant, by the way. That is not a <laughs> non-compliant response. I feel that for me personally, it made me mature very quickly in certain areas. And in some ways, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer in other spaces. And I think that... That's just sort of my personal journey. And I'll keep being that squeaky wheel trying to make people see that there are other experiences that they just are not attuned to. So the idea is the squeaky wheel gets the oil. 
But my uncle is like, oh, well, the squeaky wheel gets replaced, too. So how do you find the balance of being just precocious enough to get what you want and give other people what they need, but the way you want that taken care of? Well, I can tell you, you know, modern day now that as a professional working in healthcare, but also always informed by my patient lens, that it takes an understanding that you might not know everything, but you at least have a certain level of empathy for the other stakeholders. And if one can start to try to understand what the goals and priorities of, say, a pharma company or a health system or an insurance company are, you start to understand what they need, which is both understanding the patient perspective, but then also like, what is their bottom line? And since I truly believe that understanding the patient experience will help further a company's bottom line, it's creating that tension and helping them see that if they don't do the work, if they don't understand what patients are really going through, that they're, they're going to be in trouble. And so I think that that's what being provocative enough to help them feel uncomfortable about doing business without working with patients. What continues to confound me the most, and it's unfair to conflate this or comport this, but I do. Let's look at the retail universe. Let's look at the automotive industry, for example. They know down to the stitching on the steering wheel what the customer experience is going to be before they even render the car on a computer. They are so consciously aware that the end user is going to go through this, the entire purchase process, the website process, the marketing. They know exactly. So that one person goes into that one dealership, buys the car they want, and they have the experience that's been planned for them for five years of development. Why is it not that simple? I say this with a wink and a nod in the pharmaceutical industry. Well, let's be clear that a normal consumer industry is very different than something like healthcare because let's just face it, there are many more stakeholders involved in the healthcare system. If you were buying a car, you would go look at the car, you would pay for the car, and you would drive the car, presumably. But in healthcare, you have somebody else who's making it, who's prescribing it, who's paying for it, and then there's this lowly patient that is expected to use it. And this is the problem. This is just what uh, irks me and gets me up in the morning and keeps me up at night is the fact that none of it is designed with the patient. And by the time it gets to them, things are not working. It's not meaningfully impacting their life. It is too difficult to use. And then we say, oh, patient, you are non-compliant. We slap them with that label when truthfully, it's not their fault. Everything else leading up to that moment of non-compliance is the issue. So it goes back to all the people that have not done the work to understand how this product or service can actually impact a patient's life. If they do that, they will then make that patient compliant. So are you laying claim to the fact that you are non-compliant by default because that's the way the healthcare system plans it to be? <laughs> I'm non-compliant because I have lived a life that has forced me to find another way to live. Because the universe that we live in is not set up for people with disabilities and has not been set up to understand the unique needs that I have as a patient. And so it is about just challenging the status quo 
to help them see that there is another way and that patients are powerful and that they should be consulted and asked what they want and what their experiences are so that we can improve things for them and with them. Final question. The word disability. I'm all for reimagining language to be more appropriate and handicapped, handicapable. You know, it used to be crippled and now you're not crippled. Now, this, look, these are good things to be made as progress as a society. Have we gotten to a point where disabled, it just doesn't sound like it's the right word anymore. It does such a disservice to the stigma. I think this is, again, one of those moments where we actually need to ask the community. And there will be certain people that resonate with it, and there will be certain people that don't. And I think it's understanding what kind of syntax is appropriate in different ways and not trying to be prescriptive ourselves as people that may not know those experiences. So I cannot answer that for you. I think it's about then doing the work to understand perhaps which segments of somebody that may be considered disabled, if they feel that that is an appropriate label or not. And it's an individualized basis. So we want to ask our listeners the following question. How are you non-compliant? Were you born of it? Did it happen to you? Did it become something you had to be to get things done that you didn't ask for? So please hashtag non-compliant on Twitter and tag me at Matthew Zachary. And tag Jen at Savvy underscore co-op, S-A-V-V-Y underscore C-O-O-P. And we'll be responding to the feedback we get online right here in the next episode. So. Are you ready to challenge the status quo? Well, join me as we take on healthcare. Whether you're a patient who wants to share your story or a company who needs that valuable patient input. Well, come on over to Savvy Cooperative. Visit us at www.savvy.coop. I'm Jen Horinger. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Noncompliant. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.